0: Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. We're going to start by looking at the shenanigans politically in Europe and more than just shenanigans. In France, the government is now four weeks into a series of protests, even riots, by the yellow jacket activists, they call themselves. They started as a protest against higher fuel prices and in the last 24 hours, 135 hurt. A 1,000 detained, things on fire. The Interior Ministry in France estimates there were 10,000 yellow vest protesters in Paris on Saturday and about 125,000 around the world. They set fire to store windows and they clashed with police. Uh, Tear gas was deployed, barricades, armoured vehicles, the full works. The Eiffel Tower and the Louvre are shut. As are hundreds of stores and businesses fearing damage here in Australia, of course, we have also had student protests in the last month or so, and it 's it 's slightly new it 's a little different for australia um, So let's wrap all of that up with a bit of a look at Brexit along the way uh, with a man who has written that uh, parliamentary party systems are breaking down. And I wonder whether Simon Tormey has a view on what's happened in Canberra in the past week. Professor Simon Tormey is from the University of Sydney, a specialist in populism as a political ideology. Simon, welcome back to Open House. Thank you, Stephen. First question, what is it about French students?
1: What is it about French students? Well, they... um they are French. And of course uh, what that means is that they are raised on an intoxicating mixture of heady Republican ideals with a kind of civic activism. And um, given half a chance to skip school and to head out onto the streets of Paris or Marseille or Bordeaux, then that's where they'll go if they feel sufficiently animated and and desiring to do so.
0: Um, And we've seen a bit of that in Australia recently. It's not really been much of a part of our tradition but in places like France and in many other parts of Europe especially, it's often the students that drive the democratic revolution, isn't it?
1: Well, I mean, this is kind of novelty for Australia and it's something which I think has caught many of us by surprise and, of course, some have expressed horror that uh, kids as young as 14, 15 might head to Martin Place and and others express great delight that, of course, a generation which is going to be most impacted by climate change should actually desire to do something about it. Um, But again, I think you're right. It's uh, also a symptom of voices not being heard or not perceiving to be heard by the political class. A kind of uh, rather shocking indifference being expressed by people who really need to get to grips with what the impact of climate change means as far as Australia is concerned.
0: Yeah. Now, in France, it sometimes turns to violence, and that's certainly been the case in this last week or so. Is that the influence of the hard left, or are we also seeing the hard right mixing it up? In other words, there are some groups in society who seem to think that it's a good idea to capitalise on any disturbance of any kind, because in the disturbance, if they create enough difficulty, and this is a socialist ethic, isn't it? If you overthrow everything, then you can start from scratch. Well,
1: I think it's, we're still sort of finding out about the gilet jaune or the yellow vest, as we put it in English, um, because it appears to be leaderless. It appears to be a very spontaneous movement. It's connected by Facebook and by Twitter and so on. And we're still yet to sort of really kind of have a very kind of certain view of what is animating it. There are all sorts of theories out there about it being a far right kind of agent provocateur in order to propel uh, the fortunes of Marine Le Pen. But equally, I think um, more realistically, it's actually probably the far left. Certainly the opinion polls are suggesting that the far left is doing quite well out of this set of events. I mean, the violence, of course, there are those who say that, well, if you've got very heavy handed policing, then don't be surprised. If uh, citizens fight back and then you've also got those who say, well, you know, we've actually got instances of well-known kind of, um, you know, fairly violent fringe groups getting involved. There's probably a bit of truth in all of those things, mm. as inevitably there will be. Mm. Um, what is undeniably the case is that the French citizens, when they do get hot under the collar, they are prompted to take, you know, very direct forms of action, whether it be tractors, you know, dumping great steaming heaps of brown stuff in the middle of streets or making a huge noise or by demonstrating in some kind of a way. Um, what's undeniable about this set of events as well is just the ferocity, the fury. Uh, I mean, I've been watching a lot of the interviews over YouTube and so on. I mean, I really, you know, quite surprising quite how animated um, otherwise kind of lower middle class people who Seem to form the mainstay of this, but there's real anger, there's real sense of having been let down by this president and a desire to really want to sort of get themselves heard. And and, and worse than that, there's actually a lot of kind of insurrectionary noise and fervor in the air as well, which is really very kind of French, but equally, you know, Europe, as we know, is in a febrile state at the moment. We've had all sorts of... um, You know, quite interesting political turns and twists in places like Italy and in Germany and Greece, Spain and so on so that the mood is very it's difficult for us in Australia here to get a kind of handle on Mm. just quite how angry large swathes of the European population is
0: Well that's a very good point If we cross the English Channel to the UK where do you see the Brexit thing going? It's no clearer than it was the last time we spoke and in fact probably much less clear
1: well, this one is, is um, you know, it, it's shaping, it's changing its shape, it's changing its form every sort of 10, 15 minutes. I mean, it it looks like, so we've got the big boat coming up on Wednesday, Australia time. It looks like if that boat goes ahead, uh, Theresa May is probably going to go down to 100 boat uh, defeats. So there are moves over the weekend, as we know. Um, The senior Conservatives are saying, you know, what is the point of putting ourselves to the sword here, potentially losing a prime minister and leaving the the path open to Jeremy Corbyn to be calling a general election? The crunch issue, as far as many hard Brexit Tory MPs are concerned, is, is this really a Brexit? Is Britain actually going to leave the European institutions, including the customs union, including all the other proxy institutions for sort of European sovereignty? Or is Britain going to somehow be stuck in this kind of deep treacle of European relations? So until and unless she's able to guarantee her own backbenches that the transitionary arrangements genuinely are transitionary, they're temporary, Mm -hmm. and that we can see a clear end point to Britain's relationships with the with the European Union. She's going to lose her own backbench and, and go down to a very profound uh, defeat next week.
0: Well, and in the middle of that, you see great opportunism, people taking opportunistic positions to... Uh try to survive, you know, the onslaught and come out the other side with a position that enables them to catapult maybe into a position of leadership. But I'd like to say that perhaps that's not very different from what's happening in Australia. Uh, And let's just talk a little bit about the last week. Simon Torme is with us. He's a political theorist based at the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Sydney. And you've written Simon so, mean, in a book that representative policy is in crisis is the age of the party over as you looked at the last week and saw in a sense party ideology uh, almost sacrificed for politically opportunistic moments did you, did you wonder about that? Well I mean the, the party
1: system in Australia is just as much as profoundly in crisis as it is in France and Germany and, and the US and so on Why is that? Because basically, Australian citizens have withdrawn their interest and support from political parties. They're they're both in free fall as far as their own memberships are concerned. And of course, they're they're losing their anchor points. They're losing the sense of representing some definite identity or some group in society. So they're, they're beginning to kind of play this game of, well... I think I know the people's will better than you know the people's will. And this, of course, is what toppled Turnbull in the first place. Mm. The sense on the backbench is there that he didn't really understand the common, ordinary Australian citizen. But where is that person? Is it in the middle of Queensland, you know, in the regional Queensland? Is it in Balmain? Is it uh, in Castle Hill? I mean so really what's happening is political parties have detached themselves from the very people they're supposed to represent Mm. which is meaning that in a sense you've got this kind of curious rhetorical politics going on where scott morrison then tries to become come over as the ordinary australian guzzling sort of pints of beer with a baseball hat on and so on (laughs) where the rest of australia thinks well what's this kind of guy doing so we've got this kind of rather hysterical period in Australian politics and it's all about jockeying for position before the general election next year yes, where we will actually get a moment of clarification because then we will find out what it is that actual Australian citizens want and need but until we get there we're going to get all of kind of shenanigans on the back benches and collapses of confidence and, and people probably suggesting that they should over- topple over Scott Morrison before we get there in the first
0: place. Well yes indeed and yet we may not get the clarity that you're hoping for um, it's anyone's It's anyone's guess at this stage but unless there's a landslide and the country has clearly embraced one particular set of promises over another it's often a struggle for the middle, it's a seat by seat contest, you end up with um, a close fought house of reps, you end up with a senate that's muddled, this has been the lot of it for the last 10 years in Australia as a political theorist and particularly with your experience in European politics. Do you see anything there that teaches us from history what the future might look like in Australia? Are we looking at um, short-term coalitions being the way of things rather than these long-term parties with a deep heritage of philosophy?
1: Well, I think the the kind of nearest examples are always the UK for us. Why? Because it's a parliamentary system which automatically favours a sort of two-party system. I know we've got a kind of crazy Senate uh, system (laughs) as well in Australia, but if we just focus on the lower house, um, you know, it does favour two parties. So what we're very unlikely to see, it seems to me, is a breakthrough by a kind of populist party, either of the left or the right, in the fashion that we've seen in Italy or in Germany or Sweden and so on. So... Uh, What we tend to have, therefore, is these rather unanchored political parties, what we call in the trade cartel parties which are trying to be kind of big tent. You know, there's a lot of common ground actually between the Liberals and and Labour at the moment. They, they all agree basically on the thrust of economic policy in this country. They all agree in public services and so on and so forth. So what we get is a lot of arguing around the fringes, things like climate change, things like, um, you know, whether we should invest in this particular set of submarines or or have it natively built and so on. So it's kind of just distinctive policy differences, but... As far as the average Australian is concerned, I mean, the big picture is really, you know, low trust in politicians, low engagement with political debate, a kind of rather monotone media. And I know that you're part of the media as well. So it's great that we've got independent <laughs> radio stations trying to sort of uh, have their own say as well. But, I, you know, uh, in a context where Australia has not had an economic crisis of the kind, which, of course, is really informing developments in Europe, really informing U.S. politics. Um, You know, we are at one level the lucky country. Most people are able to make ends meet. So we're not seeing a gilet jaune. We're not seeing big um, sort of mobilizations of regular (laughs) citizens. But something like climate change, where we see, you know, that people um, who uh, are affected or feel that their interest being affected, we might have more of those kind of protests, might have some demonstrations about that, and, and who knows what else uh, as the months and years go by.
0: Very. Well, I hope it doesn't take a crisis for us to settle what is a, a very unedifying period in our political history. But for now, we'll leave it there. Simon Tommy, thank you so much for being with us You're once again. You're very welcome. Steve. Have a great Christmas. Thank you and thank you. Simon Torney from Sydney University. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.